on November 29, 2023, National Polygamy Advocate Mark Hankel shares the government subterfuge of anti-polygamy laws. Step 1. Hello, friends, supporters, listeners, and sharers. At the end of the previous episode of this podcast, episode number 297 of November 22, 2023, I noted how many of you might then be rightly asking, But Mark, how were the Congress and the Supreme Court able to get away with such anti-constitutional marriage control? Indeed, how were they able to bypass the Constitution to successfully achieve an end run around it to successfully pass and enforce the anti-polygamy laws? What steps did they take? How did all that begin? Within this episode here now, episode number 298 of November 29, 2023, I will begin to share the quick and self-revealing answers to those questions, how it all began. Let's start with the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, the latter being the first ten amendments that were exclusively designed only to be about protecting the rights of individuals. They were not about granting powers for governments, militias, and other sources. From the First Amendment to the Tenth Amendment, the Bill of Rights were only about the rights of individuals, and thereby restricting government from imposing or infringing upon those rights of individuals. The primary reason that the original Constitution of 1787 was able to be ratified by the required nine of 13 states in 1788 was by the making of a big compromise. The pro-Constitution Federalists made a promise with the Anti-Federalists. Namely, once they first ratified the original Constitution, it was promised and agreed that they would follow that up with ratifying a Bill of Rights. Such a promised Bill of Rights would, did, and still does only and specifically guarantee and protect the rights of individuals. That's right. We, the individuals. Our rights. Many of us today have often heard of the First and Second Amendments, yet few have taken a seriously deeper look into the last two in the Bill of Rights, the Ninth and Tenth Amendments. The combination of those two amendments really define the difference between government power and individual rights. The Ninth Amendment declares, quote, The enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. Unquote. That means that we, the individuals, still have rights even when such rights are not listed, not enumerated, not written in the Constitution. We, the individuals, still retain our rights even when they are not written in the Constitution. Contrarywise, it is the exact opposite of that when it comes to federal government authority. The Tenth Amendment declares, quote, The powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution 
nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. Unquote. That means that the federal government does not have any authority when such federal government actions are not expressly listed, not expressly enumerated, not expressly written in the Constitution. With that combination of the Ninth and Tenth Amendments, the Bill of Rights makes it clear rights of the people, we the individuals, do not have to be written in the Constitution. Conversely, powers or actions by the federal government have to be expressly written in the Constitution. So for any government action or power, we must be able to scour the Constitution and find exactly where the federal government is authorized to do any such power or action. This principle is the very essence of government that is of, by, and for the people, we the individuals. So let's apply that test to the issue of UCAP, UCAP, Unrelated Consenting Adult Polygamy, or even simply marriage control in general. Here's what we find. No matter how high and low any of us searches the text, not only does the word polygamy not appear in the U.S. Constitution anywhere, but even the broader word of marriage also does not appear. That informs us that any form of marriage control of unrelated consenting adults by the federal government is wholly in violation of the Tenth Amendment. Banning polygamy, or even being involved in marriage at all, are clearly and wholly anti-constitutional because the words polygamy, even bigamy, and marriage do not appear anywhere in the U.S. Constitution. And yet, despite all that obviousness, the tyranny of anti-polygamy laws still were legislated and even adjudicated in the United States. In the previous episode, episode number 297 of November 22, 2023, I shared the origins, the four steps, that established the anti-polygamy laws in the second half of the 1800s in the United States of America. Those four steps are as follows. The New Republican Party Plank of 1856, the Morrill Anti-Bigamy Act of 1862, the Supreme Court decision of Reynolds v. United States in 1878, and the Edmonds Act of 1882. As I also had previously explained, that new Republican Party plank in 1856 was not, I repeat, was not the original Republican Party of Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, and James Monroe from 1801 to 1825. That original party disintegrated after the one-term president John Quincy Adams proved to be the first ever rhino, R-I-N-O, Republican in name only president. On a side note, that son of America's second president, Federalist John Adams, President John Quincy Adams later redeemed himself. 
he was the only president to get elected in the House of Representatives after being a president. And then, that's where John Quincy Adams became a hero, spending the next two decades being one of the most vocal and amazing abolitionist congressmen fighting to end the horrors of slavery. Defeating Rhino President John Quincy Adams and being the very first Democrat Party president, the savior dictator Andrew Jackson was elected and took office in 1829. Consequently, another new party also later emerged. They called themselves the Whig, W-H-I-G, Whig Party. They were anti-monarchy slash anti-king. They even nicknamed the savior dictator, President Andrew Jackson, as King Andrew because of Jackson's king-like accumulation of power to the presidency. But <laughs> those poor Whigs, they did not have a whole lot of good luck. Their very first elected president, William Henry Harrison, died exactly one month in office. Worse, Harrison's vice president and successor to the presidency after Harrison's early death, John Tyler, was a former Democrat whose opposition to his supposed own Whig party caused the Whig party to try to impeach him unsuccessfully. But they did manage to drum Tyler out of the Whig party. Those poor Whigs, indeed. <laughs> anyway, from the 1830s through the 1850s, the presidential elections were between the Democrat versus the Whig parties, trading off elected presidencies back and forth. Abraham Lincoln had been a former Whig. As the Whigs were not having a lot of success, another new party emerged in the mid-1850s, the New Republican Party. This new version was not the same as the original Republican Party of Jefferson, Madison, and Monroe, which had no longer existed for almost three decades by that point. Also, note that I say new versus original Republican parties only for differentiation. Both only ever called their parties as, quote, Republican Party. Both versions of the Republican parties were decades apart, and the latter new party does not share the same limited government values about the Constitution as the former original Republican Party of Jefferson, Madison, and Monroe. Phew. I said all that to say this. It was that new Republican Party, the one that we now know as the GOP, the Republican Party, that would elect Abraham Lincoln in 1860. And it was that new Republican Party that first formally called for enactment of anti-polygamy laws in their new party's platform of 1856. These new Republicans deliberately knew that the Tenth Amendment prohibited the federal government from being involved in marriage in the states. So what to do? They cleverly organized a profound subterfuge. Their subtle, deceptive stratagem could, would, and did enable them to subvert and effectively bypass the Tenth Amendment, never mind ignoring the Ninth Amendment. 
However, those new Republicans did not win that particular presidential election in 1856. But four years later, they did succeed. That new Republican Party elected their first ever president, Abraham Lincoln. But let's step back four years before Lincoln's election and look at what that new Republican Party said in their 1856 Republican Party plank. Quote, It is the duty of Congress to prohibit, in the territories, those twin relics of barbarism, polygamy, and slavery. Unquote. The key words to notice in their party plank are these three vitally important words. In the territories. Beyond the propagandistic tactic of falsely associating the choice of unrelated consenting adult polygamy with the horrifying horrors of never-a-choice slavery, that new Republican Party plank of 1856 called for banning polygamy in the non-state territories. In the territories. In the territories. In the territories. I repeat it this way so that we never forget it. In the territories. The new Republican Party knew, yes, they knew, that trying to create a federal ban against polygamy in the states was anti-constitutional. The Tenth Amendment would instantly void such a ban. Plus, of course, they must have also hoped that no one would even think or even remember that the right to choose polygamy could actually be a non-enumerated right of the individuals under the Ninth Amendment. But all that mattered were the three words, in the territories. They purposely planned to bypass that limitation upon the government with their oh-so-clever subterfuge of calling for the ban to only be in the territories, in the territories, in the territories. As I had reiterated earlier, and as I mentioned in the previous episode also, episode number 297 of November 22, 2023, the origins, the four steps that established the anti-polygamy laws in the second half of the 19th century in the United States of America are as follows. First, the New Republican Party plank of 1856. Second, the Murill Anti-Bigamy Act of 1862. Third, the Supreme Court decision of Reynolds v. United States in 1878. And fourth, the Edmonds Act of 1882. From this episode here, episode number 298 of November 29, 2023, I have herewith revealed that very first step, the new Republican Party plank of 1856. And now you know how the subterfuge began with the words, in the territories, in the territories, in the territories. In the coming episodes, I will share more about the second, third, and fourth steps of the origins and subterfuge of the anti-polygamy laws in the United States of America. In the meantime, 
as always, I thank you for celebrating, supporting, listening to, and sharing the National Polygamy Advocate Podcast. Mark Henkel is National Polygamy Advocate. Presented polygamy to the public since 1994. NationalPolygamyAdvocate.com